Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. Well, we are in the midst of an eight-week series called Rooted, What We Believe and Why It Matters. And we've been looking at some really um, large topics about what we believe as followers of Jesus and then what it means for us. And so we've wrestled with some questions like, who is God? How does God speak to us? Where is God in the midst of suffering? And all of these uh, messages are very informational. And the hope is when we have this, confirmation about, this, this conversation about what we believe, uh, we want it to be informational, but really we want it to be formational. It forms us to be a certain kind of people in this world. And so our hope is to, uh, to wrestle with uh, these topics on Sunday, and then we have like a small group curriculum or a devotional curriculum that you can wrestle with uh, throughout the week. And our hope is to have these conversations about our faith, what it means to follow Jesus, and what is God up to in this world. And uh, today, um, we're actually skipping ahead to like week seven, I think. And uh, we're talking about a question um, that I... I'm not super excited to talk about. And the question for today, um, please hold your groans, is uh, what does God think about money? Uh, Yeah. Uh, We're talking about money. And uh, so happy two-year anniversary, uh, Desert City. Um, And uh, I I wanted to skip ahead because some of you know uh, we're about to have a baby. My wife, Marcy, and I are expecting a week from tomorrow. And uh, so, yeah. Very excited. We have a, an amazing teaching team here uh, with Tyler Ells and Tom Hagenon, who are going to be kind of on call the next few weeks. And I didn't want this, with this topic coming up, I didn't want to hand off to Tyler, the new guy, to say, Welcome, you've been here for two months, you got to talk about money. Um, so I felt like I should probably, and as the pastor, I felt like I should talk about it as well. Um, so a couple things. One is I wanted to start just with, with uh, a confession. Um, I, I, I fear talking about this topic because as we start a new church, I'm like, you could talk about pretty much any topic with people, but as soon as you start talking about something like this, it's so personal. I have this fear that I'm going to drive people away. And we, we have this like, you know, all churches, all they want is our money, and they always talk about money. Well, that's not true because we've been around for two years, and this is the first sermon I've done on money. Um, and so, uh, but, I, but I do have that fear. And so as we, as we talk through this, one thing, uh, as a church, is we never want to manipulate hearts to give. We've already taken our offering. This isn't, you know, uh, any kind of manipulation. Um, we, uh, unless the sermon goes well, then we might take another offering. Let's see. Uh, but, uh, but, our, but our hope today is uh, we, we feel like we, we need to talk about it because it's a big deal. And so I also had an apology. Um, if you're new today, I want to apologize that you're hearing this, uh, your first time here. But I also want to apologize uh, if you've been here longer, because I haven't talked about it. And I need to talk about it, because 
it is such a huge issue in our culture. It, when, we, when we think about our culture, there's probably nothing that is fighting for our hearts more than money, right? There's probably, there's nothing that is more divisive, something that is so easily corruptible than this topic. And so as your pastor, I want to talk about it because I care about you, and I care about your marriage, and I care about your business, and I care about your family. And so having a healthy understanding of what God thinks about uh, this issue with, with boundaries and stewardship is so, so important. And so I apologize for not talking about it more often, but we but I want to have that disclaimer. We want to talk about it in a way that's never manipulative. Um, but I do believe that this is a huge, huge issue in our culture. Uh, the other thing is we, we think, oh, churches want, everything in culture wants their money. Everyone's after it, right? And so wherever you go, whatever you do, this is something that, that, that is just this driving force in this world uh, that we live in. And Jesus talks about it quite often. Jesus talks about money. In 30 parables or so, he, he tells about 19 of them have uh, content about economics. And he talks about money even more uh, than hell. And that's not to say one is more important than the other, but it shows you how consistently he talks about it. And he's talking about it to a culture uh, that's not a free market society, that's not capitalism, that's very constrained, and it's still an issue. And so if Jesus talks about it, we should, we should understand that there is... There is a warning there for us. Um, and so I want to open up with this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. And Timothy is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a young leader, a young pastor named Timothy. It's in this grouping of letters in the New Testament called the pastoral epistles. Paul is writing to these, these young people who are, are leading churches in, in uh, the first century. And Timothy was this kind of up-and-coming leader. He was very talented. He was very dynamic. He was also very young. And so as Paul's writing to him, this is a, a new pastor that has just taken responsibility of a, of, a, of a church. And he's trying to lead people in the midst of being younger than everyone. And an issue arises in the church. They find uh, that there is someone who is there uh, that is using their religious position to gain money from people. He's using his position and his power to profit off the congregation. And he's in the church, and you have this young pastor named Timothy trying to deal with it. So um, we, we think, like, glad things have changed over 2,000 years, right? Some religious leader is, is corrupt. That's what's happening here in this church. And Paul is speaking into this circumstance. And he's trying to help Timothy kind of navigate these conversations. Um, and, and so just as we approach the circumstance that this letter was written into, we're reminded that, uh, that, that greed is something that is prevalent in any culture, in any time period, uh, in any church, because church is made up of people. But I want to open up with 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He's, he's, he's uh, taking on kind of this cir- the circumstances of uh, this person that's come in. And he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The imagery of that. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say in verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. To take hold of the life that is truly life. Great instructions as he addresses this situation. And I think it's interesting, as Paul is talking about this idea of money, um, what we find is Paul doesn't condemn money. He doesn't condemn wealth, right? What Paul says here is the love of it, the desire for it, is simply the root of many kinds of evil. It's the root. It's what springs uh, evil in the world. But he doesn't say anything about money being evil. And I think that's important to note because, as you've heard, um, many, many people probably, probably say this, like a Dave Ramsey quote, but money is amoral. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing evil about it. It's just an object. It has no, uh, it, it, it's, it has no good or evil value. It's just an object. And Dave Ramsey will use the example of a brick. He'll pull out a brick and he say, see this brick? This brick isn't good or evil. But with this brick, I can do good and evil. If I take this brick and I throw it at Tim and hit him in the head, it would be devastating, right? That would be terrible. It would be destructive. It would become evil. Or I could take this brick and I could build a house out of it to offer shelter to someone. The brick in itself is amoral. There's nothing good or evil about it. But it's what we do with the brick that matters. And so it is with money. And so to say, like, uh, oh, I, he's just trying to say, I, I shouldn't have any money. No, trust me, I, I would love for you to have money. And, uh, and my hope is, I, I think in our culture, the, the people that, that should have uh, the wealth, that should be entrusted with it, who better than people who are sold-out followers of Jesus that have generous hearts, that hear the cry of the oppressed, that have a heart for those who are hurting, um, and so don't hear this as me saying that, oh, it's evil and we should stay away from it. Because I think uh, if anyone should be entrusted with resources, it's God's people who care about brokenness in this world, who want to do something about brokenness in this world. Um, and at the same time, it's something that can be very dangerous and it's easily corruptible. Um, but there's nothing inherently evil about the object of money. It's what we... It's what we do with it. The, the love of it, the desire for it, the thing that causes us to reorient our lives to get it is something that can become dangerous. This 
thing that almost uh, corrupts our soul. So Paul says, the love of money is the root of all evil. There's special dangers that come with being entrusted with wealth. And I want to wrestle with this question, why is it dangerous? Why is this love of money dangerous? The first reason is that the love of money tends to be a thirst that is unquenchable. When we start to have this desire for it, it tends to be this thirst that is unquenchable. Um, The Romans had this proverb that talked about uh, wealth, and they used this kind of analogy of salt water. As they were sailing around the Mediterranean, they would say, uh, wealth is much like salt water. If you're stranded out in the middle of the Mediterranean somewhere and you have no water, and you start to, out of thirst, drink the salt water, something terrible happens. It doesn't quench your thirst. In fact, it makes you even more thirsty. So you desire more of it and more of it, and you keep consuming it, but it never meets the need in your life. The more you drink, the more you want more of it. And the Romans said, this is what wealth is like. It's this unquenchable thirst. As we start to get it, we desire more. It never just brings uh, fulfillment. I've seen this in my life. I uh, think about, you know, as in, in my career, I went to college and worked a bunch of jobs like, like Red Lobster or, you know, and I, I was a, a maintenance person in our natatorium and, and all these jobs. And then finally, I, I ended up getting a job that was for my career, for my occupation. I remember my first paycheck was like $500. And Marcy and I just got married, and I was like, $500? Do you know what we could do with that kind of money? Like, and you probably remember, like, when you get that first paycheck with your with your vocation, it's like, whoo, this is amazing. And now, now looking back at my life, four kids later in a house and two cars, I look back and I think, how in the world did we ever live off that? Like, that's because we always kind of live like right around where our means are, right? We we kind of just live at that point, and and we expand our world as our resources grow, and there's more. We constantly want more. The, the Greek philosophers, Epicurus, would talk about this idea um, of, of desiring more, of wanting more. And he says uh, that, that what we shouldn't desire is, is more if we want to be rich. We should desire less. And realizing what we have, to be content with what we have. And it's not wrong to have desires for more and more, but to understand that it's, it's almost like this carrot that is dangled in front of us. We're chasing after this thing that's always promising and never satisfying. It's like drinking salt water. We love money. We start down the cycle of pursuing something that promises but doesn't deliver. It's unquenchable thirst. Reason number two. The love of money is founded on an illusion. It's founded on, on an illusion. And I think this is something that's very prevalent for our culture. We live in a culture that is driven by image. We're very image-conscious people. And so we we chase after these different facades, these different images, these different things that we try to project or these different things that we try to become. We compare our lives to others. Comparison is a thief of joy, by the way. Compare our lives to others. We chase after this illusion. Again, it's like that carrot that's dangled in front of us. 
We're very image conscious. We think about kind of the image that we portray uh, here in our culture um, is that we're, we're very materialistic and we're very consumeristic. And those aren't necessarily terrible things, but they have unintended consequences. Uh, sometimes in our uh, pursuit of happiness, in our freedom, we become enslaved to certain things as we chase after a certain image. Or maybe it's security. We desire wealth for security, and so we put um, our trust and our hope in becoming uh, more stable and more secure. And it's this illusion. We're reminded how quickly things can fall apart, and we put all of our trust and hope into uh, the illusion of security and not our hope in God. Uh, we're left uh, longing for something else. I heard this quote, and it was by just uh, an anonymous person um, pertaining to money. It says, money will buy a bed, but not sleep, books, but not brains, food, but not appetite, finery, but not beauty, medicine, but not health, luxury, but not culture, amusement, but not happiness, constantly promises and underdelivers. It's just after this illusion. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the story of Adam and Eve. As we, last week, actually, we talked about uh, this Satan, the, this uh, figure of evil in this world, and how he deceives us. And the first lie that he tells humans, the first thing that he does to try to destroy humans, is uh, convince them that God is holding out on them. And he holds up this object in front of Eve. And he says, if you would just have this, then you would be more complete as a person. If you just had this object, which I think is a tomato, by the way. I <laughs> convinced her it wasn't a fruit. And God said, don't eat fruit. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible VeggieTales joke. Okay. Um, but he holds up this item and he says, if you would just have this, then you would be complete. Then you would be happy. Then you, all the things that you were lacking, it, it would be fulfilled. God's holding out on you. There's something better. And, and Eve seeks contentment outside of God. She pursues this lie. Adam does too, by the way. And both of them go for it. And it overpromises and underdelivers. There's this illusion that this is what's going to make you content. And it doesn't deliver. We live in a culture where that, we face that every single day. Every single day we're the target market of that story, that lie. If you only had this, if you only had more, then you would be happy. Love of money is based on this illusion. Love of money also tends to make a person selfish. It's probably the most important point. It tends to make us uh, selfish. It causes us to look internally. Um, as money is something that is easily corruptible, uh, it does something to our soul. So Franciscan author Richard Rohr says, we're told by Jesus to love people and to use things. But we live in a culture where we love things and we use people. As we pursue wealth, as we pursue love of money, here's where we get in trouble, is when it starts to affect our relationships. When we desire uh, wealth, we prioritize our life around it. And it starts to hurt people around us. It's something that we should always keep in check. When it's, when it's causing us to hurt others, the love of money tends to make us more and more 
selfish. Mark 20, 10, 27, there's a story of this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And we know that he's a very religious person, and he starts this conversation with Jesus, and he's talking about, what do I need to do to enter uh, the kingdom of heaven, to receive eternal life? Jesus looks at him, and he says, well, you follow, all the, you know the commandments? And he, and he quotes them. He cites them, right? He's, he's that, that person that knows scripture and is able to recite it right away. Jesus says, you've judged correctly. He says, what else must I do? Jesus looks at him and says, take all that you have and sell it and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And he says the rich young ruler couldn't do that. He said, no way, I can't. And he leaves discontent, and he leaves unhappy. And we hear that story, and we think, well, well, well that's, I mean, that's crazy. He's just calling all of us to, like, sell everything we have. And in the proper context, we realize that's not what Jesus is talking about, right? Because a little bit later, he meets with this tax collector named Zacchaeus, and they kind of have the same conversation. And he tells Zacchaeus, this corrupted tax collector, to sell half of what you have and give to the poor. What Jesus is talking about here is a percentage. What Jesus is talking about here is your heart. And he looks at this man who's got it all figured out, who knows his scripture, who believes that uh, he's right with God, and yet the Lord of his heart is money. Jesus looks at him and says, you've got your priorities mixed, mixed up, and you've completely missed the point of what this is all about. Something inside of our heart is transformed in Jesus. And we start to realize that this life isn't all about us. In fact, our life is a gift for other people. We've been saved for, not just from something, we've been saved for something. That our life would become a gift to others. And when God is Lord of our hearts, we can live life that way. When money is the Lord of our hearts, we can completely miss the point of what God has called us to in this world. Jesus looks at this man and says, I know what is Lord of your heart. There's more that you need to do. The rabbis would look at the Dead Sea and say, this is why the Dead Sea is dead. We all know what the Dead Sea is. Uh, the Dead Sea uh, has so many kind of like minerals in it and salt in it that you, you can literally float. You go out and you could just float in the Dead Sea. It's such a dense body of water. The rabbis would look at the Dead Sea and say, the Dead Sea is dead because water flows into it. And it's stored there, but nothing ever flows out of it. The rabbis would say, the same thing that's happening to the Dead Sea that keeps it, we're not able to drink from this lake because it's poison. They would make this parallel with the same thing with money in our life, with wealth in our life. If things are streaming in, if we're receiving, if we're consuming, but it has nowhere to go, it's not filtered out of us, it corrupts us, it poisons us. A love of money causes selfishness. When we live a life where we just receive and we consume and there's no healthy outlets for it to bless other people, it becomes poisonous and corruptible. A love of money can make a person selfish. The fourth thing is that the love of money creates worry and anxiety. Can I get an amen, right? Worry and anxiety. Uh, and this might be... Uh, uh, where you're at, it's like, I, I know I'm not like a crazy selfish person, and I know that I don't have my priorities right, but I'm constantly worried and anxious. And kind of like the root cause of that is my finances. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much I have to do. It's, it's something that chokes out joy in your life. 
Jesus is telling this parable uh, about a man who sows seeds in a field. He talks about these different uh, soils that the seed lands in in this field. One of the soils is, is full of weeds. And Jesus talks about how as the seed starts to grow up, the weeds choke out the plant, literally choking out the life. He starts to explain this is what this parable means. He says the seed that was sowed on the soil that was full of weeds, uh, that gets choked out, is like the word of God that is sown in a person's heart. And much like the weeds, it says that the busyness of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes out the word of God. The busyness of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Some of us um, are so anxious, so wound up, so worried and so stressed. And some of that, you know, is just part of life. Some of it is because priorities have been messed up. And we just need peace and release because we feel like we're being choked right now. God didn't create us to live like that. He created us to live free. He created us to live with a peace that passes understanding. The worry of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes it out. We live in a culture uh, that is so competitive. We're moving so quickly. We're trying to keep up with so many people. We're pursuing this image. And we just need to be reminded this is not how we're created to live. This is unhealthy. The love of money is the root of all sorts of worry, all sorts of concerns. Paul goes on to say, verse 17 through 19, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's some do's and don'ts here. Some do's and don'ts when it comes to our money. Some don'ts. It says, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant if you're wealthy. And, uh, you know, since wealth is so relative, I think most of us probably feel like, yeah, you know, I, I live in a, you know, I live here in the U.S., life is good, I'm wealthy, but compared to, like, some people, you know, I'm not that rich. Don't be arrogant with the wealth. What happens so much is we, as we compare our lives to other people, we kind of value, a lot of this culture values what you make, what you produce, what you own. And the tendency is to believe that my worth is wrapped up in that. And when I'm believing that lie, that my worth is wrapped up in my wealth, I start to become very arrogant. I start to become very entitled. I start to think very differently about people who are in a class below me. Paul says, don't be arrogant with your wealth. My hope is that God entrusts wealth to his people because people who are sold out and following Jesus should be humble. They should understand where all this comes from anyway. They should understand who controls all of this. Not to be arrogant and puffed up because of it. Not to treat others as less. When it comes to how we value other people, it's interesting when Jesus is born, when God sends Jesus into the world, he 
He's not born into this wealthy family. He's not born into the son of a senator of Rome or the son of the king. Uh, Jesus is born into uh, a carpenter's house, a working class home. He doesn't have great financial influence. But he's able to meet people no matter what their economic status is. Paul warns that money can be something that causes us to be arrogant. As a church, I want to be a place that is open to all people, no matter what you make, no matter how you look. Let us not be arrogant in what we own. And then he says, don't put your hope in wealth, which we talked about a little bit. He says, do not put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And this is hard, too, because we want to be responsible people, and we want to provide for our family. And all of those things are natural instincts God gives us. He has, get, he has called us uh, to be managers of this world, to be good stewards of this world, to invest, uh, to build things. But then he says, don't put your hope in those things because they're so uncertain. And most of us here lived through the financial crisis, 2007, 2008. We saw things that we'd been storing away just get wiped out. And you know how fleeting wealth is. He talks about your mindset. Don't be arrogant with wealth. Don't put your hope in it. He says, but put your hope and trust in God. It's interesting that on our money, we have the credo in God we trust. Always ironic to me. Always a reminder to me too, right? That we trust God, not our wealth. The dues, he says, do put your hope in God. We have a God that we believe is sovereign. We have a God that we believe is in control. He's where we put our trust. His kingdom is eternal. The glory and riches of his kingdom will never spoil or fade. We put our hope in him, not in the things of this world. And then it says to do good with our wealth, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous with our life. Like the Dead Sea, to allow things to actually flow out of us so that people can come and drink from the lake. To be good in good deeds, to be willing to let go of things and then he reminds us that what we give is returned to us. There's something that happens here as we, we use our life, we see our life as a gift to other people. As followers of Jesus, we, we actually believe uh, that we have eternal life and that all that is given from us or taken from us, there's this time where there's going to be a reckoning of restoration and renewal and reconciliation. And we move so quickly through this earth. And we're a part of this eternal kingdom. A kingdom that we catch glimpses of here and now. And a kingdom that we hope for in the future. And Paul says, as we give generously, God sees all of it. Every action, every small deed. He sees all of it. Nothing goes missed. So he encourages us to be generous with good deeds. What we give is return. William Barclay kind of sums up this whole passage with this statement. He says, The whole teaching of the Christian ethic is not that wealth is a sin, but that wealth is a very great responsibility. If a man's wealth ministers to nothing but his own pride and enriches no one but himself, then his wealth becomes his ruin. 
because it has impoverished his soul. But if a man uses his wealth to bring help and comfort to others and become poorer, he becomes richer. And in time and in eternity, it is more blessed to give than receive. Paul talks about this life that is truly life. When our souls aren't corrupted by the love of money, this life that is full, this life that is connected to the eternal, we realize that our life is a gift to others. What does God think about money? There's a lot to discuss about that question. What does God think about money? The Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous message that Jesus gives, he says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we close today, as the band comes back up, we close each week by taking communion. And as we approach the table today, I want to just consider where we're at, where we're at, our soul with our finances. Maybe today uh, you know that your life is, is uh, you feel like you're in this race and you're just pursuing something that just doesn't seem to have an end. It's like you're drinking the salt water and you're thirstier for more. And there's like no restraint. You can't stop. And you're so far into it, you don't know how to get out. You're consuming and consuming and consuming. And you just need uh, that, that to be released in your life. Maybe today you, you know deep down inside you've, uh, you've felt that corruption of the soul. That you've felt uh, that you've become selfish and your actions are actually harming other people. And you know that it's so easy to hide greed, um, but something inside of you is withering because of it. Maybe today... Um, you're not struggling with any of that. You're just in a, a tough spot financially. And there's so much anxiety and worry and stress. And you just need to experience God's peace. And for these moments, you just need to be silent. Not think about the bills you have to pay. Not think about the things that are coming up. But enjoy the presence of God. The God who is our provider, who meets you now. I'm not sure where you're at. When it comes to money... It's a gift. It's a responsibility. It's also something that can become dangerous. May God meet us today as we consider our lives. We're going to move to our time of communion. We practice open communion here. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake at the table. For us, communion is a sacrament. It's something that's very sacred. As we take communion, uh, we take bread. The bread represents the body of Christ. The bread is broken. And it represents God's body that was broken on the cross. Then we take a cup of juice. The juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. We believe that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world and he broke himself open and he poured himself out so that we may have life. He's done this great work in the world. And today as we consider this topic that is something that is often heavy on our hearts. 
Let's be reminded of this God that's done this great work who's provided for us salvation. And then as we take this in remembrance of him, we're reminded that our lives are gifts to others. We're this living Eucharist. We break ourselves open and we pour ourselves out to give life to other people. We're the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for passages like this, Lord, that we get to look almost as in a window to something that happened 2,000 years ago. We see these people wrestling with what to do about money, what to do about greed, how they should approach life. And we're reminded that this thing of money is a human problem. It's not just us, it's not just. North Phoenix and Scottsdale, it's not just America. But it's something that humans have wrestled with throughout history. We know that there's great good that can be done with it. And we know that you entrust and empower us to use it. And we know that it's easily corruptible. And it can have so many unintended consequences on our soul, on our heart. So today, Lord, we pray for we pray for healing in areas that we need healed. We pray, pray for restoration for things that need to be restored. We pray for we pray for provision uh, in our life, and that you would meet us here and now, Lord, with a peace that passes understanding.